Betfolio Voice peeps, thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a great episode in store for you on one of my favorite topics, dentistry. In this episode, sponsored by Decra Veterinary Products, the makers of Vetrodent line of oral health products. I'm joined by the one and only Dr. Jan Bellows. We cover topics such as common roadblocks to dental procedures, client communication, and overcoming our anxiety as veterinarians responsible for treating teeth. To me, there is nothing like performing a successful dental procedure and hearing from the owner at the recheck about how their pet is acting like a puppy again and playing with toys that they haven't touched in who knows how long. Ugh, it's just the best. And my guest seems to feel the same way because he's dedicated much of his career to dentistry. Dr. Bellows received his undergraduate training at the University of Florida, go Gators, and doctorate in veterinary medicine from Auburn University. After completing a small animal internship at the Animal Medical Center in New York City, he returned to South Florida where he still practices companion animal medicine, surgery, and of course dentistry. He's certified by the Board of Veterinary Practitioners in Canine and Feline Medicine and the College of Veterinary Dentistry. He's past president of the American Veterinary Dental College and the Veterinary Dental Forum. He's been president of the Foundation for Veterinary Dentistry since 2016. Dr. Bellows has authored five veterinary dentistry texts. He's also a frequent contributor to DVM News Magazine. Dr. Bellows is a charter consultant for VIN's Dental Board. He was also chosen as one of the dental experts to formulate AHA's Small Animal Dental Guidelines published in 2005 and contributed to the updated versions in 2013 and 2019. Let me tell you, he was just a cool customer to talk to. You can certainly hear his passion for dentistry, but his approach is so calm and practical. Just a wonderful guest to have on the podcast. Let's go ahead and get into it. I'm so excited that I'm here with Dr. Jan Bellows today to talk about one of my favorite things, which is teeth. And it turns out we have that in common. So Dr. Bellows, thank you for being with me today on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. And the opportunity to spread the good word of dentistry is a great opportunity. Absolutely. So one of the things we wanted to talk about today is addressing some of the common challenges that are presented by dentistry. And I wanted to start with talking about client communication. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you communicate with pet owners about dentistry and how you overcome maybe some of the barriers that that can present? Very happy to. Probably the easiest way to make the segue into dentistry is looking at the pet's mouth and taking a whiff. And the client also can see that doggy breath, a cat breath is not a normal thing. It comes from periodontal disease. It comes from the buildup of plaque and tartar. And I tell people, this is not food coloring. This yellow is plaque and tartar on the teeth and it's causing discomfort, even if it's a dull pain. And the client then says, okay, what, what can we do about it? And we said, well, they have to be placed under general anesthetic and the, and the teeth professionally cleaned. And then most importantly, you have to start prevention and prevention has to be done every day. I mean, people brush their own teeth two or three times a day, and that's why they don't lose their teeth when they're six years old. Or if one year is uh, seven years at 40 years old, they don't start losing their teeth. Most people keep their teeth their entire life because they brush them twice a day. Animals need 
prevention care. And what I harp on is prevention right from the beginning. We call it the oral PAT, which is prevention first, assessment, and then treatment. As compared to where the paradigm in veterinary medicine has been is just the opposite. You know, the, the emergency type of the animal has horrible breath or can't eat or is bleeding gums. And then it starts with the treatment and then prevention at the end. But if you start prevention at the beginning, it, it makes such a big difference long-term. I mean, there's no reason why Maltese, some interschnauzers and chihuahuas and Yorkshire Terriers have to start losing teeth at four or five, six years old. And that can all be prevented. Now, clients have major concerns with anesthesia. And fortunately, anesthesia now is so much safer. And I tell the clients that anesthesia can be performed very safely because we first evaluate the patient with blood work and an exam. Second, we protocol each patient individually. So there's no like one anesthetic protocol fits all. And third is the monitoring and the monitoring is so important because we monitor the certainly the EKG and the blood pressure and pulse oximetry and CO2 so important during the procedure and especially after the procedure until they're in sternal recumbency. So that's pretty easy. And then some clients are concerned about the expense of dentistry and expensive dentistry is really mitigated on, with a lot of these poor programs, which is the wellness program that the client pays once a month, a fee that covers usually vaccines and discounted exams and discounted blood work, and also one dental procedure a year, including dental x-rays. And if they break it up that way, it is just so much more palatable for them. Many insurance companies also cover dentistry now. So the roadblocks in the past that we faced, the expense, the anesthesia concerns, aren't too much of a roadblock anymore. That sounds great because I think you hit all the major topics that <laughs> I see as barriers when trying to communicate with people about dentistry and the importance of dentistry. You did kind of blow my mind a little bit there when you said these Yorkies and Maltese, and I'm thinking like dachshunds and chihuahuas and, and things like that don't have to start losing their teeth at four years old. Cause I'm always surprised later in life when I see older Maltese and dachshunds and all these that have a full mouth of healthy teeth. It just blows my mind. It is doable. You have to understand periodontal disease just doesn't come by itself. It comes because plaque forms on the teeth. And then because the plaque just sits there, calcium and phosphorus come along and calcifies and makes the plaque rough, which is tartar. And then that attracts more plaque and more tartar. And then all of a sudden the bacteria would start as aerobic bacteria turn to anaerobic bacteria because there's not oxygen underneath the gum line that's blocked by the plaque and tartar and the anaerobic bacteria start to do their destruction. And that's how periodontal disease occurs. If you can control the plaque right from the get-go with daily home care. And in, for my dog, I use the dental wipes. I use the veteran dental wipes. They're like handkerchiefs and wrap it around my finger. And every night, uh, I wipe the dog's teeth and then I give it a VOHC accepted dental product. There are so many things now that can be used to help to decrease the progression of plaque and tartar. So people should do it. 
Absolutely. And I love that you talked about kind of your plan for your own dog and how you take care of her teeth. Can we talk a little bit more about prevention? You mentioned VOHC. Can you elaborate on what the VOHC is and how that plays into client communication and preventative dental care? Right. VOHC was created over 20 years ago by the American Veterinary Dental College. It is composed of an executive director and a five-member volunteer veterinary dentist team, and each of them are board certified. And what they do is evaluate a certain protocol, what they call a clean teeth protocol, where you start with teeth that are professionally clean, and then a product is tested, not by VOHC, but the, the results are tested as compared to a control product that is similar, but doesn't have it in. So if it's a diet that has a chemical that decreases plaque and or tartar, the product would be given to a certain subset of dogs. And then the same food without the product would be given to another subset of dogs and they compare the results. And in order to be accepted, VOHC products have to at least reduce the accumulation of plaque and or tartar by at least 20% in two studies. And one study has to be at least 15%. So there's a certain protocol and there are about 70 dog products, about 30 cat products that have the acceptance, the VOHC acceptance. And you can tell if a product has VOHC acceptance because it'll be stamped on the label. Also, the VOHC products are understood to be safe. Many products that people feed their pets, they go to pet stores and they get antlers and nylon type of chews and some products that have very bad chemicals in it and they feel they're safe, but they're not. So it's it's real important that the people give their pet a safe product every day. So for anybody who's not familiar, VOHC stands for the Veterinary Oral Health Council. And I've definitely been to the website multiple times where it lists out the products and found it really helpful because if you have an owner in a room who's asking you, well, what about this? What about this? It's a really nice resource where everything's just kind of listed with the types of quality control that Dr. Bellows is talking about. Right. That's vohc.org. And every one of our professional dental visits, we send home with their PDF on acceptable products. Oh, that's perfect. Then they just have it right there in their hands. Yeah, it works. I love it. I love it. Can we talk about the dental exam? You know, we have our pet in here who's being evaluated maybe for an annual exam and what we're looking for with teeth, maybe breed and species dependent dog versus cat, large versus small, and some of the common things that you're looking for on that dental exam? Well, the dental exam generally starts out with the face exam. So you don't just jump in and open up the mouth. And on the face, if you start with the lymph nodes, feel if there's any swellings there, and then move forward and move your fingers over where the upper fourth premolars are. A lot of times those teeth will be fractured and they'll have abscesses underneath the eyes. Feel for any asymmetry, then flip the lips and 
look for swelling and look for plaque and tartar and look for fractured teeth. Fractured teeth are not benign. You know, the fact that the animal is still eating and there's a hole in the tooth, that doesn't mean that the animal's not in pain because bacteria gets down that hole and starts to eat away the bone and causes pain. And if the nerve hasn't died yet, the animal is sensitive to hot and cold and pressure, especially when you have fractures that haven't actually opened the nerve, but they have eroded the enamel and dentin. And cats, even worse, cats have such thin enamel that any fracture needs to be attended to either through root canal therapy or extraction. Cats also, and this is so important, are prone to resorptive lesions. And 50% of the cats that you'll see, that's half of the cats you'll see over three years old will have a tooth resorption. And the ones that have at least one have more than one, most of them. So this isn't like diagnosing Addison's disease. When I got out of veterinary school, they said, keep on looking and you'll get your Addisonian. And it took me about three or four years to find one. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you're seeing more than one cat a, a day, <laughs> that a second cat is going to have at least a tooth resorption and they're painful. And there's only one treatment, extraction. So it's something that you really have to get on top of in the exam. That's the exam in the exam room, then under general anesthesia, every tooth has to be probed at least, they say six places. I just take the probe and push it all around. And I, I used to have the technician probe it and then make a chart and then I'd go from that chart. But it gave me a better feeling if I had the probe in my hands and I probed each tooth because I, it, it got me a lot closer to what was really going on. So the technician said, well, if you're going to do it and I'm going to do it, why don't you just do it? So right now, the technician takes full dental x-rays and we also have a CT. She takes a CT and then hands me a probe and then we go over tooth by tooth. And that, that's so important. You can't just globally look at the mouth and say, uh, well, this is what we need to do without looking at every tooth and making a decision. I mean, Dogs have 42 little patients in that mouth. Cats have 30 of them. And each tooth needs some decision. So it's also critical that every case gets intraoral radiographs. Taking a skull film is too much superimposition. And the intraoral radiography is very affordable. And once you concentrate on tooth by tooth. There's so much work that needs to be done. And it's easy, you know, if the client understands that there will be a phone call that's going to come while the animal's under anesthesia, and they'll have a decision on whether to do it then or do it at a later time. It's a lot easier than if they all of a sudden a phone call comes and they say, you know, we looked at your dog and the periodontal disease, we find out where it's coming from, the odor, and we have to take out eight teeth. And the client has one minute to make a decision. That's a little bit stressful as compared to when the animal comes into the office and you examine them to say, okay, expect a phone call from us around noontime. And we have a decision to make then. Sure. And what you're talking about with the probing the teeth and like you said, having 42 or 30 little patients in there, I'm going to bare my soul for a minute as I often do on this, this podcast and say, you know, where I've kind of 
overlooked something. Don't worry. It was nothing major, but I went through and was probing teeth. Not, I mean, this was probably within the last few weeks and I will say maybe I got lackadaisical about it because the mouth overall looked good, but I was going through, I went, yep, I'm not finding any pockets. I'm not finding any fractures. The x-rays look good. All this looks good. And then when the technician I was working with was cleaning and working on some of the other stuff, she said, wait, this tooth is extra. This isn't supposed to be here. So like you said, going tooth by tooth, normally I'll go through and I'll kind of call out the numbers and this tooth and this tooth and this tooth. But I was instead just kind of like, oh no, this overall, the mouth looks really good and missed that there were those extra teeth in there. So yeah, going through every tooth individually and making a plan for each one. It's it's absolutely amazing that every mouth that you open up is almost a Christmas present because there's so much in there. Oh, and, I get so uh, yeah, no, no, yeah. And and I find that some most veterinarians are passionate about dentistry. Some of them aren't because they really haven't gotten into it. But once you yeah. get into it, there's so much good that you can do. And I love that transition because that was actually gonna be my next question was I think sometimes one of the barriers to dentistry, and this was absolutely me before I started doing more and more and more of it, is the veterinarian is I don't want to get in there. I'm not totally comfortable with what's going on and and what the plan is. So can you speak to that a little bit about what types of anxiety you hear about from veterinarians and how they can, you know, just some tips and tricks to help abate that anxiety? Yeah, probably the biggest anxiety is addressing the client with what you see. So it's that moment of truth that, yeah, the tooth is a little bit mobile and there's four stages of periodontal disease. And this is a stage three. Should I tell the client about it? And if I do tell the client about it, then that comes the conversation for the next, you know, five minutes on what to do about it, what the options are, what it's going to cost, or should I just clean it and let it go? And That's the moment of truth that veterinarians really have to face. And it's the anxiety. It's it's almost like fear-free dentistry should be done to figure out how the veterinarian can be fear-free with the whole dental procedure. Because another anxiety point is what to do with time. You know, if they have three or four dental procedures scheduled that day, do they physically have the time to take out a half a dozen teeth or do they wake up the animal and let it go for next year? And the, and, and you're really not doing the animal that much um, benefit because you're sending him home with pockets. And if you send them home with pockets, where do you think food's going to go that exactly. night? It's going to go into the pocket and the client, even though brushing is a great idea, practically nobody does it. And nobody does it well. So it's the animal's going to suffer. And we didn't go through what we went through to have animals suffer. So the veterinarian has to, in their mind, say, okay, I'm going to speak to the client. And one of the really cool ways of proposing it in your mind is imagine if it didn't cost anything. Recommend it to the client. And then at the end, tell them what the cost is. But first, give them great reasons of why that tooth has to be extracted or why they have to be referred for root canal therapy. And then let the client make the decision. But in your mind, don't get into the client's wallet because every client has just a, a, a different appreciation of expenses and what they're going to do for their pet. So recommend the best. Imagine that it doesn't cost anything. 
and stand back and watch what happens. And if the veterinarian can't do it all in one day, a lot of veterinarians only have one dental table. You know, right. We're we're real fortunate. We have four of them. Um, so so there's like some heaven. some animal yeah it's really <laughs> cool so some animal pet goes under anesthesia the teeth cleaning and there's two veterinarians working on cases so it, it works out well but if you only have one table and you have four dental procedures you're you're not going to have the luxury to taking out all the teeth right away so you set the client up at the beginning before they even leave the office set the client up with the idea that we're going to clean the teeth, we're going to evaluate them, much like a human dentist, then we're going to set another appointment for the treatment. Unfortunately, the client generally comes in because the mouth smells bad, and you've took care of that problem. So some people don't come back for the second care, mm -hmm. uh, because they think, well, problems taken care of, it doesn't smell any. But in a month from now, it's going to smell again or two months and the animal and the periodontal disease is going to progress. So you have to kind of pick your clients that, that you're not going to do everything at one visit. Absolutely. I guess one thing I have seen is when I've had to stage dental procedures and say, you know, we couldn't do everything all at once. And I mm -hmm. don't get those people that come back when I want them to. Oftentimes, they're still back you know, say the following year for updating exam and blood work and vaccines and things. And then of course we have more periodontal disease, but I feel like I find that second time around when I go, Hey, remember that tooth I told you about this is still causing a problem. We need to go in and get it out probably more now because we waited longer. Can we go ahead and do that procedure and talk about it? I in general tend to feel like when they see the benefits of the first procedure, they're much more receptive to going back in and continuing that oral therapy where if there is a problem tooth and, and talking about prevention and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I de definitely agree. Dentistry is, is one place that they can really see a big difference. Unfortunately, with dermatology, Oftentimes the skin gets better, then it gets worse again and gets better and worse again. Uh, but right. with, with dentistry, if they can continue with prevention, it'll stay really good for a long time. Absolutely. I've seen yeah. that so many yeah. times over. It's amazing. Yep. And the other thing I wanted to go back to was what you said about not getting into the client's wallet. And for me, that came with doing these procedures over and over and over again, and having those clients come back and say, wow, I didn't even realize how big of a problem this was, but now he's eating better. He's playing more. He's got more energy, feels better. It's a huge difference. And I didn't even know it was a problem to begin with. And having done that over and over and over again, it makes it much easier to kind of, kind of get out of their wallet, like you said, because it's so easy to give those great reasons where you say, look, this is causing a lot of pain and we can really you know, provide some good benefit to your pet if we take care of this tooth in whatever way is indicated, usually extraction. And then to have them come back and go, wow, that really did make a difference, makes it easier the next time around to make that recommendation. Right. And, and I find a, a lot of newly hatched veterinarians, the ones that just got degrees where they didn't have very much dental exposure in veterinary school, or even if they did, they can't appreciate the benefit of dentistry until it's boots on the ground and in the trenches for years until they see, 
wow. And, and sometimes it takes years and years and years. So hopefully mm-hmm. they, they believe the uh, veterinarians that have been out for a while that dentistry is, is just so important. Absolutely. Yeah. And so despite having done many dental procedures and, and obviously really enjoying them, one thing that still shakes me up a little bit are lumps and bumps in the mouth. You know, it's, do I extract the tooth that it's associated with? When do I get worried? When do I leave it alone? Can you give us kind of some general guidelines when it comes to lumps and bumps? Let's first talk about lumps and bumps outside of the mouth in the face. If an animal comes in with a swelling, a dog comes in with a swelling underneath the eyes and you see that there's a fractured tooth with the pulp exposed, because generally that's what it is. They were fed an antler, they fractured the tooth, the pulp was exposed, the nerve died and the bacteria found its way to make a periapical abscess and it swells underneath the eye and sometimes it even fistulates underneath the eye. What you shouldn't do is give them antibiotics and anti-inflammatories and expect it to make a difference. Sure, the swelling goes down, but the hole's still there and they can't be on antibiotics and anti-inflammatories their whole life. So at that point, either take out the tooth or refer it for root canal because antibiotics, I mean, such a typical presentation is my veterinarian put this on antibiotics. It's been on antibiotics for three months. Every time we take it off antibiotics, the swelling comes back. And I'm thinking about the you know, the poor dog has to go through all that. And, it, and it's curable if you take out the tooth or in many cases you do a root canal and it gets better. Uh, that's number one. The swellings inside the mouth, number two, in dogs and cats need to be addressed as quickly as possible. If they're benign swellings, most of them are periodontal odontogenic fibromas called POFs. They used to be called epuli. If you can remove a half of a centimeter of normal tissue, and sometimes that involves also taking out the tooth, the adjacent tooth, then it's curable. If what oftentimes happens is that a periodontal, a peripheral odontogenic fibroma is partially excised. So it looks great for about a month, but it grows back. And then the veterinarian does it again and grows back. It'd be much easier to take it out with a half centimeter and go ahead and send it off to a pathologist and make sure the pathologist has a special interest in oral pathology. We'll use Cindy Bell and also our powers. Those are pathologists that have special interests and they uh, do a really, really nice job. Then the third is if it appears malignant, what I generally do is do cytology first, fine needle, look at under the microscope, see signs of malignancy, and then give the client an option of either taking a biopsy of it and then sending it out, getting confirmation that it's malignant, and then coming back for a second surgery or do it all in one surgery. If you're a good cytologist, then you can understand that there needs to be at least five criteria of malignancies. 
which isn't all that hard to diagnose. I mean, cytology sounds tough, but if you have pleomorphism and isocytosis and multiple nucleoli and basophilic stippling, there's probably 15 criteria of malignancy. And all you need is five to say, okay, this is most probably malignant. Give the client an option of doing the definitive surgery, which is at least two centimeters all around in every direction to take it off. A lot of times you can get a cure or at least a dog a lot more comfortable for a period of time. If you go in for the biopsy first, prepare the client for a second surgery. So that works, but lumps and bumps really need to be addressed. And so in this is, this is one area I struggle. If there's, you know, like a small little lump overlying a tooth or something like that, and it's by all accounts, doesn't look very angry. It's not inflamed. It's not doing anything. And then on my dental x-ray, that tooth looks overall healthy. I always have this moment of self-doubt where I'm like, do I take out this, what looks like an otherwise healthy tooth in order to remove this bump? But it sounds like from what you're saying that the majority of the time, yes, if there's a bump in the mouth that needs to come out. Right. Some of them though are gingival enlargements compared to an actual tumor. And with gingival enlargements, you can do a gingivectomy as long as you preserve at least two millimeters of the attached gingiva. There's a line that goes all the way along called the mucogingival line between the mucosa and the gingiva. And as long as you have a two millimeter cuff, you can create a zone of normal tissue But prepare the client that we may have to take out the rest and we may have to take out the tooth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Bellows, this has been so much fun and I could just sit here and keep talking and talking and talking about dentistry, but are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. I encourage veterinarians to reach out to their local veterinary dentist. They can find out who is board certified in their area by going on avdc.org, American Veterinary Dental College.org, avdc.org. And if they want to contact me, send me some x-rays, talk about cases, talk about equipment. They can contact me at dentalvet at AOL, D-E-N-T-A-L-V-E-T at AOL. I love it. That's so generous of you to offer uh, your information to help us all out when we've got these, these cases. My pleasure. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for joining me. It's been so much fun. Take care. (laughs) All right, guys, I hope you are all super excited about dentistry now. I want to say a big thank you to Dr. Bellows for joining me. Thank you to DECRA for sponsoring this episode. And thank you to all of you for joining us. For more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this episode, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. Mm